What would it take for you to feel like you have lived a fulfilled life? You know, that's a very important question to most people. I would hope it's an important question to all of us. You know, when you get to the end of your life and you look back on your life, how do you want your life to be remembered? There's a wise saying that no one on his deathbed ever said, I wish I had worked another day in the office. I wish I had spent more time in the office. I wish I had spent more time pursuing things. No one ever says that. And yet, that is exactly what most people pursue in this world. And yet, even amongst those who are not saved, I think most of us recognize that people are more important than things, right? I mean, sometimes when it takes a tragedy to strike for people to recognize what it is that's most important to them. Usually their loved ones, their own family, or very close friends uh, who are near and dear to their heart. Sometimes those tragedies are needed for people to recognize what's really important in their life. And so what I'm trying to get at is that in our hearts we all pursue something. We are all worshipers of something. We are all making something most important in our life. And in many ways that's quite evident today when you see the outbreak of the coronavirus. You go to your local store and you see all the shelves completely emptied. Because people will do everything they can to preserve their life. They will do everything they can to make sure that they are safe when such physical danger comes. But for us, we recognize that there is something greater. There is something bigger. And in fact, this morning, we're going to go to a very familiar psalm and bring out what is not always a familiar message from it. And that's the fact that our full sufficiency, our worth, our fulfillment of life is all rooted in the man, Jesus Christ. It's all rooted in the Lord, our Savior. If you want to live a life with no regrets, you want to be able to live to the end of your life, looking back, knowing that you have known and have served and have worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ. And with all of your time and with all of your might, you have not only worshipped him, but you have sought to share him with others who did not know him. And so that is important to us. That is the point of this psalm. That is the point of this opening statement from David when he says, The Lord is my shepherd. We want to be able to look back and know that we have put our full trust into the Lord and have grown according to his grace and mercy. That we have done all that we could to glorify him. And that's why we meet together. We meet together in order to deepen our knowledge of God's word in order to increase our understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the more we know him, the more we understand him, the more prepared we are to respond in a right way when trials come. And it's not a question of whether you're going to go through trials or not. You will go through trials. It's only a question of when. In fact, my former pastor used to say, everyone is going through one of three phases. Either you're in a trial You've just come out of a trial or you're about to go in a trial. And that's true for everyone. And that's why these kinds of truths, like what we see in Psalm 23, are so vital to our hearts. 
And this is what biblical counseling is about. I've talked about that, and some of you have been there in the evenings to learn more about biblical counseling. But this is the perfect kind of psalm that we use to give ourselves hope and comfort in a time of need. It's to remind us of the big picture, remind us of who it is who's watching over us, and remind us of our ultimate priorities, which is to walk with our Lord faithfully. And so this morning's message, as you can see, the title is The Lord is My Shepherd. And the text this morning will be Psalm 23, um, all six verses. And my purpose this morning is going to be to, to be reminded of our Lord's shepherding care for us so that we may place our full confidence in him. Again, my purpose this, mor- this morning is to be reminded of our Lord's shepherding care for us so that we may place our full confidence in him. And this morning, uh, David's going to reveal three wonderful outcomes. Three wonderful outcomes, three wonderful implications from having the Lord as our shepherd. First, let's go ahead and take a look at the passage itself. Psalm 23, starting from the very beginning, we read a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a wonderful, beautiful psalm. And as we take a look at this psalm this morning, we're going to start with David's expression of trust. This is the main purpose of the psalm. This is his theme statement. This is his summary. He's going to open up with his summary statement. This is his statement of faith. This is expressing his confidence, his trust in the Lord God. And it's a very simple statement. It's a very well-known statement. But before we even get to that statement, we look at the inscription just for verse 1. It says, a psalm of David. Now, we understand as we read through the scriptures that the book titles and the chapter numbers and the verse numbers, those weren't in the original manuscripts. Okay, what we would say, those are not inspired. But in the case of the Psalms, these little inscriptions are inspired. In other words, these were breathed out by God. And so we have this inscription that says, a Psalm of David, which is to tell us that David wrote this Psalm. In fact, if you were to read through the Psalms, you would find that David wrote half, at least half of the Psalms. There's 150 total. He wrote at least half of them. And he's even referred to as the sweet psalmist. He, uh, he, he was a musician. He was a songwriter. He's a very gifted man in very many ways. And so here we're being told that this is one of his psalms. And we're going to see very quickly why this is so significant. As we get past the inscription, we go to verse 1 and we see the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, I want to point out something here, because God has many names. One God, many names. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we call him God. 
Sometimes we call him Lord. We can call him, call him our rock, our redeemer, our salvation, right? We, we have many different ways and many different names that we can give to God. And we have to pay attention to the names that are being used whenever they show up. And in this case, David is saying the Lord, and you'll notice the all capital letters, that's the word for Yahweh, saying Yahweh is my shepherd. Of all the things that David could have called God in this verse, he refers to him as my shepherd. This is a very personal statement. This is a very heartfelt statement. You know, it's like when we were kids and sometimes we would get lost, right? And when you're lost, you start to get afraid, you're fearful, and the first thing you want to know is, where's my mom? Where's my dad? Where are my parents? You know, and then, and then you go seeking them out, and, and you, you don't even care about all the adults who are around you and, and who might look like nice people or whatnot. You just want to find your way to your parents because you know that they will take care of you. Those are my parents. That is my mother. That is my father. In this case, David says, Yahweh, that is my shepherd. And it says a couple of things. I mean, first and foremost, this position of shepherding has been significant throughout the history of Israel. Going all the way back to the time of Abraham, they were shepherds. David himself was a shepherd when he was called to become king. And even when you think back to the book of Genesis and when Joseph goes into Egypt and the rest of Israel follow him after them, you know, what does Joseph tell his brothers to say to Pharaoh? Tell him that you are shepherds. That is your occupation. And so David, before he was king, he was a shepherd of sheep. But it's interesting that he says, Yahweh is my shepherd. Because to call Yahweh my shepherd, it means David is making himself to be what? Sheep. He's making himself to be a sheep. And so he recognizes from his own life experiences what's involved with tending the flock, what's involved with watching over sheep. And he recognizes the difficult task that it is to be a shepherd. It is a life-encompassing task. And he recognizes that about Yahweh, that Yahweh is his shepherd. But he goes on to the implication at the second half of verse 1. The, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, when he says, I shall not want, in other words, he's not wanting of anything. He's not needing of anything. He's not desiring or, or needing to have something that he doesn't already have. I shall not want. But let me tell you, in the Hebrew, this is even more emphatic. This is not simply, I shall not want. This is saying that I will not even enter into a state of ever having want. I will not even enter into that state. Why? Because Yahweh is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That statement by itself says, I have everything I need. And I have everything I will ever need. And I will never be in a position where I'm going to need something more than my Lord. I shall never enter into a state of wanting. That is his statement. That is his summary. That is his thesis. That, that is his statement of faith. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But now he's going to give us three glorious outcomes. He's going to give us three wonderful outcomes from having the Lord as our shepherd. Having given us his expression of trust, we now move into the first wonderful outcome, which is that our Lord provides for us richly. 
our Lord provides for us richly. As we take a look at verse 2, we see he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, let's just stop for a moment because obviously he's still carrying on with this sheep analogy, with the sheep and shepherd analogy. And what's interesting about sheep, and I don't know if you know this, I think a lot of you do. I mean, there's, in this area, I see a lot more sheep than I do up in Los Angeles. And by the way, we're, we're officially Brawley citizens now. We're moved in. All of our stuff from L.A., all of our stuff in the apartment in El Central, all moved in. And by the providence of God, I mean, you guys know I, I didn't mention the pastor's conference. It was a wonderful, wonderful conference. But uh, we went to the conference. Um, well, I went to the conference, and it just so happened by God's providence, it was the Thursday before the conference that we finally got the keys to the new house. Um, and uh, then, so we, we're, we didn't have to make two trips to L.A. We can just make one trip to L.A. I was already headed up there for the pastor's conference. Alice can go up there to help start the packing process. I stayed over an extra weekend to continue with that packing um, and then, then uh, finally the moving trucks came. We came back to Brawley and then our apartment lease, and we tried to get the shortest lease possible. It was a nine-month lease. That's the shortest we can get it. It expired two days after we got back. So that's, uh, that's the Lord providing for us. You know, that's the Lord providing for us. And many of you have been so wonderful to pray for us and to help support that process. So we're very thankful for you. And um, last weekend, um, I know John Bowers came and preached in my place. It was funny because before I made that call to have John Bowers preach, Alice told me initially, you know what, after the pastor's conference, just go back to Brawley and do the church service. I, you know, I, I can handle this on my own. And I said to her, I said, no, I, I, I better stay back. Um, Alice told the moving company we had 40 boxes to move, and it turns out we had 124 boxes. <laughs> And she said, after the move, she said, she said to me, she said, that is the best decision you've made since we've been married. Smartest. I don't know how to take that. <laughs> Either that was a really good decision or you're saying something else, but I trust, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. I trust it was a really good decision. But um, yeah, so thank you for your prayers and your, your support. And, and for allowing me to be at that conference. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. But as we, we look back at uh, this verse 2 once again, I mean, this idea sheep are, are just notoriously dumb animals. They are notoriously stupid. You have to tell them exactly where to go. You have to tell them exactly when to lay down. You have to make them eat. You have to make them drink. And then you have to make them stop. You know, that's, it's interesting and I think it's providential, I think it's very deterministic of God that he would create such dumb animals and then make us the analogy, make that the analogy for us. Right? And here he is, verse 2, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, you, you know, look at this language. He makes me. He forces me. He ensures that I lie down in green pastures. He's not making us do something bad. He's making us do something that's good for us. You see, sheep, when they had to lay down, obviously, just like any other animal, they needed rest. And you didn't want them resting on, on rough surfaces. You wanted them to rest on green pastures. And not only that, but the green pastures is also where they can eat. You know, every time I drive around and I see a, a flock of, of, of a sheep, a group of sheep, you know, I, they're always on very, very green pastures. I don't see them wandering around on just brown dirt a whole lot. And so it says here that the Lord, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What is David saying by that? He's saying that the Lord makes sure that I get rest. 
The Lord makes sure that I get nourishment. He's the one that makes this happen. He makes me lie down, not just anywhere, but in the best places for me to lie down in, and the best places for me to get what I need physically. And not only does he make me lie down in green pastures, but he leads me beside quiet waters. Now, this is very interesting because if you were to watch sheep, if they, you know, when you take them to a stream or a river or some sort of brook, if there's any movement in the water, they won't drink. They're, they're skittish. They're very skittish animals. They won't drink it. In fact, sometimes shepherds were known to have to put these rocks together and build like a little mini dam in order to, to calm the waters. And so what we see here is that the Lord leads me beside quiet waters. He not only provides me with what to eat and where to rest, but he also provides me with what to drink. You know, in Jesus Christ, we're reminded that he says he's the bread of life. He is the water of life, right? You know, he is the bread. He is the water. He, he provides us what we need. And here we see that he makes sure that we have places to rest, that we have things to eat. We have waters to drink. And he makes sure that it is quiet and it is calm for us. Uh, notice that he is the initiator of these actions. He is the one that makes sure that it happens. You know, sure, we work hard. We go to our jobs. We have things that we need to do. But it is the Lord that makes all of that possible. But not only that, we go to verse 3 and it says, He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Now, we can easily look at this and, and draw some spiritual analogies out of this. He gives us salvation and this and that. But really, I think the emphasis here is just this idea that sometimes we can be mentally, physically, and spiritually fatigued, right? You go through difficult trials, and I'm looking at the audience, and I know some of you have been through some very difficult trials, going through some very difficult trials. And sometimes you're not only just physically spent, but it's just spiritually and mentally you're spent. And how many times in our life as we look back, have you gone through those periods and it was God that restored you? It was God that gave you that energy. It was God that, that get, returned that peace to you, that gave that energy back not only to you physically, but also mentally and spiritually to where you can come back and do what you have done before and do it with joy. You know, and sometimes it's just the act of spending some time with God's word. Sometimes it's just hearing a good message. Sometimes it's, it's being reminded of some blessed truths out of, out of the Bible that you needed to hear at the right time. Sometimes it's, it's, it's being restored by a fellow brother or sister in Christ who's just rallying around you, helping to support you, and encouraging you in Christ. You know, those are the times where we find our restoration in the Lord. When God restores us. When he gives us what we need, not just in terms of where we lay, not just in terms of what we eat or what we drink, but just mentally, spiritually, being restored. But I love this. It's not only that he takes care of all of our physical and mental and spiritual needs. At the end of verse 3, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, the Lord, when it comes to being a shepherd... A shepherd is not only one who tends the flock, but he leads the flock, right? He, he tells the flock where to go, and the flock respond to his voice. They go where he goes. They, they do what he tells them to do. And in this case, once again, the Lord himself is the one that's doing the action here. He guides us in the paths of righteousness. 
And when, what, was, what do we mean by that? Well, this is not just a physical path. This is not just knowing where to go. This is not simply looking at a map and saying, well, how do I get from here to there? But he's guiding us on the right paths, the right paths that are characterized by righteousness. Because when we think about God, we think about God as being righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? That means he always does what is good. He always does what is right. You know, even as parents to children, you have commands. You have things that you want your children to obey. And as children, you can do one of two things. You can either obey what your parents tell you, or you can disobey. And if you obey, then you're doing what is righteous. And it is what is good for you. Because we know in this society, as you grow older, it's going to be those who have learned to obey, the ones that have learned to obey at a young age, who will do the best in society. Amen? We know that to be true. And here what we see is that the Lord himself is characterized by righteousness and he leads us on paths of righteousness. He's not going to lead us into destruction. He's not going to lead us in a way that's going to dishonor God. He's not going to lead us into the way of falsehood. Remember, as we've been going through Ephesians, one of the commandments there was to speak truth to one another. Laying aside falsehood, speak truth to one another. Speak truth in love to one another. And with our Lord, we know that he is going to lead us in paths of righteousness. He's going to lead us in paths of truth that marks his righteousness, that's characterized by his righteousness. And he's going to do it for a very important, pers- for a very important purpose, which at the end of verse 3, you see, for his name's sake. Now, this is wonderful. We don't often think about the name of the Lord. But if you were to go back to Exodus, in fact, if you hold your place here, I don't have it up on the screen, but you can turn to Exodus chapter 20 for a moment. In Exodus chapter 20, that's where the Ten Commandments are given. And in Exodus chapter 20, obviously the Ten Commandments, I don't know if you've ever realized this, of the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments is about our worship of God. The last six commandments is about our treatment of one another. That's why Jesus Christ would say the two greatest commandments is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So the first four commandments talk about our love for God. And it starts in, we'll go to verse 2. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations, on those who hate me, but showing my loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And then we have verse 7. And you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And then the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath day. But we see even from the Ten Commandments that the name of the Lord is to be considered holy. The name of the Lord is to be revered. It is to be worshipped. It is not to be handled haphazardly. And it's interesting that we live in a society where the majority of curse words involve the name of the Lord. 
either the name Jesus Christ, Lords, or God. The vast majority of them, and that's what we do. We, we live in a society that, that takes the Lord's name in vain and blasphemes him with their curses. But we are told here not to take the Lord's name in vain. Now, obviously, that was a warning to us. That was a warning to the Israelites not to do that. But here in Psalm 23, when we look at the Lord's name, it says that he guides us in the paths of righteousness. Why? Because of his name's sake. We are not only to honor his name, but he himself is to honor his name. And he honors his name by taking care of us and making sure that he guides us in the right direction. The Lord will never leave us astray. The Bible, the Word of God, will never leave, lead us astray. And it's for the sake of the Lord's name. If the Lord's name is so holy that we are not to blaspheme it, then the Lord's name is also so holy that God must uphold what He promises us. He leads us on paths of righteousness for His name's sake. But though He leads us on paths of righteousness, it's not a promise or a guarantee that life is going to be easy. No, life gets hard. We know that from the New Testament. We know that from the promises of Jesus Christ. He said in John 15, 18, if they hated you, know that they hated me first. He promised the disciples persecution. In fact, he even told them, blessed when you are persecuted. But even here in Psalm 23, as we go to the next section, the first of Three truths, these three wonderful outcomes from having the Lord as our shepherd. First was our Lord provides us richly. The second, the Lord protects us faithfully. The Lord protects us faithfully. And so as we see in verse 4, we see that there are troubles in life. There are indeed troubles in life. Verse 4 reads, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, this underlined portion, this is a very well-known verse. We hear this recited often, and it has become so familiar that I believe the translators are afraid of translating it any other way. Now, why do I mention that? Well, first of all, when we see the phrase, the shadow of death, there is no definite article in the Hebrew. In other words, this is a shadow. This is not the shadow, right? Um, so it's a shadow of death, but even more significantly, the word death is not in here, not in the Hebrew. So what is this? It's really um, a, a valley of gloominess or deep darkness. The, the word in the Hebrew talks about gloominess or deep darkness or like, almost like a feeling of depression. It's, it's going through difficult, dark, and gloomy times. So you, you can almost translate it better as the valley of, of deep shadow. You know, the valley of deep darkness, or a very deep and dark valley. And it's not only that, but also the very beginning, when he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, even though, when I believe in the Hebrew, is probably better translated, even when. Even though, even when, what's the difference? Well, even though implies that he's going through it now, and that he habitually goes through it all the time. Even when, to say even when, means it can come at any time, but it's not always a constant. And we know in this life that there are ups and there are downs. We have spiritual highs, we have spiritual lows. We have good times and we have bad times. You know, even in this year, there's been a roller coaster of, of good and bad. I mean, for us, myself and Alice, being able to move here to Brawley and finally plant roots here and to have everything there, that was wonderful. 
You know, but then now all this scare with the coronavirus and, you know, the things that are happening in politics, you know, seeing the death of one of my favorite basketball players, those kinds of things. I mean, we, we see a lot of things happening this year. There are ups and there are downs. There are good times and there are bad. But what David is saying here is even when, so he's saying in totality, even when I walk through a valley of deep shadow, a valley of gloominess, and what's he describing here? Well, this is where the shepherding analogy becomes helpful again. Because as the shepherd of the flock, the shepherd was to make sure that sheep don't stay in one place at all times. Why? Because if they stayed in one grassy pasture, that grassy pasture will no longer be a grassy pasture. That sheep, those sheep will eat right through it. And they will not stop eating. They will keep on eating. So the pastor has to, the pastor or the shepherd needs to make sure that he's leading the sheep to other pastors. To, to make sure that they're kind of eating more evenly and not, not eating all the way to the ground. But here, when he says, so as he's leading them from pastor to pastor, we have to realize, too, that the terrain in Israel was very mountainous. I mean, there were a lot of hills and valleys. And, and not every place that the shepherd would lead his sheep were necessarily safe places. There are a lot of places where there were a lot of shadows. There are a lot of darkness. There's a lot of places where predators could be awaiting and so this is showing the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Though he leads us on paths of righteousness, he also leads us through valleys of deep shadow, of darkness and gloominess. That's symbolizing the danger that could be present, the attacks that can come upon us. And this is not to say that just because the Lord leads us that everything is going to be great. Ultimately, we know everything is going to be great. Ultimately, we know that if we put our faith into Lord Jesus Christ, we have salvation for eternity. But sometimes the Lord leads us into trials. In fact, if you are a believer in Christ and you believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is in control of all things, I think it's fair to say that he always leads us through our trials. Romans 8.28, we know God causes all things to come together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things. God causes all things to come together for good. Not just the good things, but also the bad. And it could very well be because you are a believer that the Lord is leading you there. So David here is talking about the fact that he does walk through these valleys of deep shadow. But here's what's important, that even when these things happen, he says, I fear no evil. I fear no evil, though there is danger there. There is danger lurking. There may be animals. There may be wolves. There may be people seeking to harm us, seeking to do something bad to us, seeking to throw us off our track, seeking us to, to make us dishonor God somehow. But what David says here is, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And what's significant here in the first three verses, what we saw is that the Lord as my shepherd has been guiding me, right? He has been guiding me. We saw that previously in verse 3, that he guides me. But here now, he's not just leading you, but now he is with you by your side. He is with you bringing comfort. You need not fear evil because the Lord is with you. And just like the great commission of Jesus Christ, when he said, go into, go into all the nations, make, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And what's the last statement? Lo, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. 
Jesus promised with the Great Commission that he is always with us. And that is why he gave us another helper. He gave us his spirit. And through his spirit, both God the Father and God the Son dwell within us. So David says, I fear no evil because you are with me. And not only that, but he refers to the instruments of a shepherd. He says, your rod, rod, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, what, what are these instruments? Well, the word for rod is the same word used for scepter. It's an instrument of authority. It's an instrument of authority, but it could also be used as a, as a, a punishing instrument. It can be used as a weapon, essentially. And the, the staff, the staff here is referring to something that supports a person. So for many of you who are getting up there, we know as we age, um, it's a lot harder to walk on our own. Sometimes we need helpers. We need either a walker or a staff or a cane or something like that. And this is the idea that this staff provides support. So what are we saying here? Well, one instrument is, uh, is an instrument of violence, is an instrument of defense for, for fighting against enemies. And the other is for support. It's for help. You know, in fact, uh, some shepherds, it's been said that when their sheep fall into a ditch and they might walk right into a ditch and fall right in, they can't get themselves out. And how do they get themselves out? Well, they don't. Well, the, the shepherd has to go and use his staff to help pull them out. And so what David here, when he's referring to the rod and the staff, you know, the rod is what the shepherd would use to help fight away enemies that are coming to take the sheep. You know, just like the passage we read earlier about Jesus and the wolf that comes. If it's a hired hand, the hired hand leaves. But if it's a true shepherd, a true shepherd who has to be with the sheep day and night, it was an all-encompassing activity. They even slept with the sheep. And some might wonder, well, why put so much importance into sheep? Isn't that just materialism? Isn't that putting all your importance into possessions? No, because the sheep were the livelihood of a family. If a family loses that sheep, they have nothing. So the sheep was the livelihood of the family. But here, David talks about the rod and the staff. So when those come to attack me, when those come to invade, when those come to try to devour the flock, it is the rod of the shepherd that keeps them at bay, that defends us from them. And when we get ourselves into trouble, when we need support, when we need help, your staff is there as well. So David points to these two instruments, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When was the last time in a trial you looked upon a verse like this and reminded yourself that the Lord is there to comfort you? Yes, it's a trial, it's a difficulty. You're going through difficult times, but we have guarantees from God. We have promises that the Lord is with you always. Even when you read through the story of Joseph being sold into slavery and going into Egypt and being mistreated and imprisoned there. And for 13 years before he finally got to be taken out of prison and elevated to second in command. It was 13 years from the time that he was sold into slavery to the time that Pharaoh finally elevated him. But for those 13 years, it was harsh on him. And yet when you read that account, you see on two occasions that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. How often when we go through trials do we think that the Lord has forsaken us? How often when we go through difficulties we think that the Lord does not love us? How often when we go through difficulties we, we think, How long, O oh Lord, how long do I have to go through this? And we forget that the Lord is right there with us. 
In those cases, he's right there by our side with his rod and his staff. He's helping to protect us from evil. How does he do that? He does that through his word. He does that through his spirit. As we devote ourselves to growing in Christ, as we devote ourselves to growing in our knowledge of the word of God, we are protected from evil. And in those times of need, in those times of comfort, in those times that we need care, the Lord gives us that care that we need. It can come through the, through the body of Christ. It can come through his spirit. It can come through all of those things. But it is the Lord who ensures that we are able to sustain, that we all will make it to the end. And it doesn't always mean that we're going to get the end that we desire. I mean, just as a reminder of the, of the 12 disciples, 11 of them were martyred. And the last one was stuck on the island of Patmos, left to rot by himself in a prison. But each one of them found comfort in the Lord. Each one of them found comfort knowing that God was with them. In fact, the reason why they could endure such harsh punishment is because they knew the Lord was with them. They knew the promises of our God. And not only that, but as we go to verse 5, David says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, to prepare a table, this is the idea of having a feast, like a big banquet. You know, this is almost like you're having a VIP guest come over to your house. And you want to really prepare the house, prepare the table for that special guest that they may be treated as well as you can possibly treat them. But notice what it says here. You, talking to the Lord, you prepare a table before me. You prepare a table before me, but you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Yet another reminder that life is not always going to be smooth. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be just sheer joy and happiness. But sometimes the Lord is going to care for our needs. He's going to minister to us even when we're in the midst of those enemies. And we see that even today with all the attacks on the Bible, upon our faith, upon Christians. More and more as, uh, as this world progresses in the wrong direction we as christians who believe the bible are more and more being portrayed as backwards and stupid and believing in superstitions and whatnot more and more even the public school systems are trying to take what the bible says to be true and turn it into what they would call spiritual abuse more and more are they trying to convince our children that god is not real or that god has been misrepresented but for us, we know that for those of us who are saved, for those of us who have put our trust into the Lord, we know that even in the midst of that danger, we are being taken care of. He prepares a table before us. This is wonderful treatment. And not only does he prepare a table before us, but David goes on to say that you have anointed my head with oil. Anointed my head with oil. Now for David, we know that he was king of Israel. And that he was anointed king, that there was oil poured on his head as he became king. But that's not what he's referring to here. This is an action of comfort and care from the Lord once again. You know, in those days when, and we can understand this here, if you're living in dry and hot weather, how quickly your skin starts to dry and crack, right? You know, we, we have to use lotions and all that to try to keep our, our skin moisturized or, or 
keep it from getting dry and getting cracked. Well, that was particularly true with the head. You, you know, the, the head would get dry and get cracked, and it was, it was a very um, painful existence to have to go a long period of time with, uh, with your head not being treated. So that oil that was pointed over the head was meant to provide comfort from that kind of terrain, from that kind of weather conditions, that dryness and that heat. So here he's saying, you pour, you anoint my head with oil. And then he finishes off verse 5 by saying, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. Again, continuing on with this kind of meal, this, this dinner table analogy, not only is he being cared for as a table is being prepared for him, not only is his head being anointed with oil, but his cup overflows. The cup that he drinks from, it overflows. What does that mean? That means you give me in abundance. You give me even more than what I need. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's not just simply saying that the Lord is going to give me what I need. He's going to give you more than what you need. He's going to give you in abundance. Your cup is going to overflow. And I'm sure for many of you, at many times in your life, you saw this reality in your life. You saw God's providential goodness in your life, giving you more than what you truly deserved. And this is the blessing of our Lord. This is the blessing of our Lord. But as we continue on, the third wonderful outcome of having the Lord as our shepherd. The first was that the Lord provides for us richly. The second, the Lord protects us faithfully. The last one, the Lord preserves us eternally. Going to verse 6, David says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. When he says, Surely, this is a certainty. David is emphasizing this truth. He's saying, I know this without fail. I know this to be true. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me. Now, goodness, goodness is the opposite of evil. I mean, we understand that. Good and evil. So this is goodness, but also loving kindness. Loving kindness speaks to God's covenant faithfulness. He is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his covenants. He is faithful to what he promises to give you. And this word is often translated also as mercy. He is merciful over us. He is compassionate over us. This word encompasses so much meaning. And this was so foundational to the Israelites and their understanding of the Lord. He is compassionate and gracious Loving kindness characterized who he was in terms of his mercy and his compassion for the people. And David here is saying that goodness and loving kindness will follow me. We don't have to seek it. It follows us. David is saying that this goodness and loving kindness, wherever you go, it actually follows you. And in fact, that word is often used for pursuing, even chasing. You know, I enjoy running as exercise, and for those of you who don't like to run, I often hear from you, I only run when I'm being chased, right? <laughs> well, here David is saying, goodness and loving kindness will chase me. You can't even escape God's loving kindness. You can't even escape his goodness if you are in the Lord. And this is the sure confidence from David that goodness and loving kindness will pursue him all of the days of his life. 
He cannot escape it, nor does he want to escape it. And no matter how wicked things may get, no matter how much he's going to be attacked, no matter what trials he goes through, he knows that goodness and loving kindness is close behind him. And at the end of verse 6, he says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, as David is saying this, during his days, there was a tabernacle. He wanted to build a temple. He would not be the one to build a temple. His son Solomon would build a temple. But that tabernacle and that temple was considered the house of the Lord. You wanted to see the Lord, that's where you went. You, you went there to worship God. And his, his presence was made manifest through the Shekinah glory that would fill the holiest place. But they would understand that that was where the Lord dwelt. It was in his house. The thing is, David says this, and it's impossible for actually David to live there during his life. Well, why is that? Because David was not a Levite. Only the Levites actually lived in the temple or the tabernacle. Only the Levites could actually live in the house of the Lord. So what is David saying here? David is not talking about the physical tent, the physical temple, the physical tabernacle. He is talking about the real house of the Lord, which is up in heaven. This is David not only saying that goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, but even after this life concludes, I know that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How good is that promise? And that is where the real glory is. That is where the real prize is. That is where our real hope is. Because when we think about the great promises of the New Testament, when we think about why Jesus Christ had to come, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he did what? He sent his only begotten Son, that he who believes in him will not perish, but will have what? Everlasting life. And when, when Jesus met with his disciples in chapter 14, and he says, I go away to prepare a place for you. And what does it mean that I go away, that I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you there? This is a guarantee that we have from the Lord. The Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ who's our shepherd. He, he's, not only, he's not only taking care of everything that we need in this life, but he is ensuring that we will be taken care of in the next life to come. And in this life, no matter how bad things get, we know our salvation is secure if you have put your faith into the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, let me just assure you right now that there is no pathway to heaven outside of him. There is no way that you can get yourself into heaven by your own good works. Because what's true for you is true for me, true for all of us. We are all sinners. We all stand guilty before God. And God, because he is righteous. In fact, this psalm even mentioned paths of righteousness. Paths of righteousness shows that we have a righteous God. Because he is righteous, because he is just, he must punish your sins. Sinful man cannot exist in the promise, in the presence of God. We cannot receive this promise to dwell with him forever. The only way we can dwell with him forever is to have our sins removed from us. And you and I have no power to do that. 
We have no power to remove our sins from ourselves. We are sinful beings and we have been guilty of many sins throughout our life. But this is why God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world. That when he died on the cross, he died as a perfect man. And he also died as God in human flesh. And that his death on the cross ended up making the payment for the sins of all who would put their faith into him. And so if you want to know what it is to believe in God, if you want to know what it means to have faith in God, to trust in God, it's to trust that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, and that if you confess his son as Lord, you will be saved. This means that as if you're going to turn to God, you must turn away from your former manner of life. You must turn away from your former manner of life and devote yourself to following the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. We all fall short. We all need the continuing grace and mercy of our God. But what the Lord promises is to guide us in paths of righteousness. What he promises is to be by our side even when we walk through valleys of deep shadow. Even when we go through trials and tribulations, he promises to be by our side. He will protect us from evil with his rod, and he will provide us support with his staff. He prepares a table before us, even in the presence of our enemies. He keeps us safe, even in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil, and he makes sure that our cup overflows with his goodness. But it starts first with putting your faith into him. And at the conclusion of this message, I'm going to call the deacons forward uh, in prayer. And if you do not know the Lord, all you need to do is to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to, to repent of your sins and to turn towards him. But we would also encourage you to come and talk to myself or one of the deacons or one of the deacons' wives. In fact, deacons and your wives, can you stand up for a moment? Deacons and your wives. Can you just look around? These are the deacons and their wives. Thank you very much. Um, please talk to one of us before you go. We would love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you and help you understand what it is that the, what it means to follow the Lord. But for the rest of us, I hope this psalm is an encouragement to our hearts. This is what it means to counsel our hearts, and especially in this day and age, and especially now as we look around, and there's a lot of uncertainty from this virus. There's a lot of panic. There's a lot of people doing things uh, that are out of panic, out of fear. We as believers can rest assured that Jesus Christ is our Lord and shepherd. That's why in John chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. And while we don't have time to look at it now, you can just write down Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. What's in those verses? Those verses are condemnations against shepherds who did not take care of their sheep. And God promising that he will come and bring a good shepherd. The shepherds of Israel failed to take care of their sheep, which is why God needed to, to send the ultimate shepherd, the good shepherd, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is our shepherd. And you can say with David that he is my shepherd. And with Jesus Christ, because we have him in our life, we will never lack anything. No matter what happens in this life. No matter how hard these trials get. 
because we have a hope that transcends this existence. We have a hope for all eternity. We have a hope that should get us through all the difficult times. And we have a hope that should provide light and salt to the rest of the world. And when people don't understand that hope, that's our opportunity to sit down with them and share that hope. Give a defense for the hope that is within you. And do it with gentleness and respect and with prayer that more people would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray.